Hi, I'm Father Daniel Duplantis, a Catholic priest, martial artist, and host of the Karate Priest Podcast. Have you ever wondered what the Church teaches about different topics? Are you a martial arts enthusiast or just someone who wants to learn more about martial arts? I'd like to invite you to join me and many guests on my podcast as we cover topics of faith, everyday living, and martial arts on the Karate Priest Podcast. Welcome back to A Catholic Perspective, the podcast all about being a young Catholic surviving in a secular world. Today, I have a special guest with me, Father Calvin. Welcome, Father Calvin. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on. This is amazing. Um, I haven't had anyone actually out of the country on here before besides uh, Daniel, so this is really exciting. I'm the first foreigner. Fantastic. (laughs) Yes. We get an idea of what the other side of the world kind of looks like fantastic did you want to introduce yourself to the listeners real quick yeah sure um so i am an anglican deacon under the gafcon umbrella i have a church in northwest london and i have a tv show on gb news at currently at 3 p.m on sundays where we look at current events from a faith perspective wow that's incredible well welcome i'm really excited that we can talk about our topic today, which is basically the LGBTQ agenda and how it's affecting children. Um, I'm not sure how much you know about what's going on in the United States. Do you know what's happening right now with like drag shows and all that crazy stuff? Oh, yes, yes. Because whatever happens with you guys comes over here like six months to a year later. So we have to keep abreast of what's going on. Oh, wait, really? Is that what happens? We get it here first and then you guys get it. Yeah. It all oh. starts with you guys. So you owe us an apology. <laughs> <laughs> the United States is somewhat of a plague right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what differences there really is, but what's your experience with this infiltration of LGBTQ agendas into the school systems? Well, yeah, I used to be a school teacher and a school leader before I um, took to the cloth. So I think, well, from my experience, it's the resources that have been infiltrated. So whether teachers are activists or not doesn't really matter anymore because the resources that they're using to teach are full of critical theories, whether it's critical race theory or gender theory, it doesn't matter, it's all embedded in there. So the activists have been very clever. And a lot of this comes down from the government, actually, it's top down. You know, it's difficult to say where to start, but we have a new um, curriculum in the UK called RSE, Relationship and Sexual Education which has replaced what used to be known as sex ed back in the day. Um, And what it's essentially done is made sure that all children have to learn some kind of sexual education. Now, we used to teach it in secondary school only, which is like your high school. And now it's it's reaching all the way down into primary school uh, or, or junior school, which means kids as young as five years old are learning about sex education when it's entirely age inappropriate. And when I say learning about sex ed, we're learning, the children are learning um, about sex toys, learning about different types of sex, such as anal sex. Um, We're talking properly debauched curriculum here in the name of inclusivity. And I don't know how a conservative government has pushed this through, but it's again, it's the resources. So the government says, look, you have to teach relationships and sex education. And the purposes for that was, well, because some parents aren't male and female, some parents are both male or both female, you know, you can see where the gender was coming from. But then teachers are like, well, we're not prepared for this. We don't have the capacity for this. So they download resources from companies like Stonewall and Mermaids, which Mm -hmm. are highly 
um, politically aligned with the LGBT lobby. That's insane. And it's kind of crazy to me how we see that infiltration because it's kind of been happening ever since the sexual revolution happened. Would you say that's correct? Oh yeah, I mean, if we want to go deeper into it, absolutely. It all started with contraception. It all started on the divorce of the sexual act from uh, from marriage and from the potential for blessing of children and, and separating that into, into personal gratification. That's where all of this came from. Uh, the feminist movement, uh, the sexual revolution, all of it, the breakdown of society, the lack of numbers of people in church, uh, and and the increase in mental health issues, unhappiness, loneliness, isolation, all of it, a lot of it comes from um, the introduction of, of contraception. That's incredible. Like, it's so crazy to me how people can be like, oh, well, it's just a sexual preference, you know, but it, it's not like it's it's snowballed into something so atrocious that it's impacting children. And, you know, how is it affecting children? Have you seen how it's affecting them? Yeah, we had, um, I had someone on my TV show the other day that uh, a young boy, how old was he, about seven years old, um, oh, six years old, got labelled as a transphobe by his school because he wouldn't go along with the lie that men can become women and women can become men because his parents were Christian and they taught him that, you know, you're either born male or female and God made you that way and you're, you're blessed to be that way because you're made in the image of God. Uh, and this this six-year-old wouldn't have it so the school said you're a transphobe and said to his parents you're transphobes and they said wait a minute this is a christian school what are you what are you trying to do here and they ended up taking the department for education to court and won um but but off the back of the, i mean off the back of that we're seeing that children are you know being ostracized for having traditional beliefs and for having christian beliefs but on in this particular case the children and the parents won the case against the school and against the department of education but then they said to the church, the established church of, of England, you guys are pushing um, trans politics onto children. That's harmful. It's divisive and it's unchristian. Uh, you should stop that. And the Department of Education said, yes, we're going to stop that. Sorry, an eyelash has just flown into my eye. How unprofessional. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Church of England said, we're not going to stop that because we believe that, uh, oh, what's the language they use? Oh, valuing all God's children. It's like, you know, when the lefty liberals use religious terminology to make something bad sound good and that's exactly what the church of england is doing it's pushing mermaids and stonewall and all of this lgbt uh, agenda onto young children and he was six and yeah. it's a christian school yeah i mean that's just what on earth i mean i feel bad for a lot of the people um that i see you know their kids i babysit for tons of families sometimes on and off but over the years of you know, almost 12 years of nannying and babysitting, I've seen kids grow up in the pre, you know, before 2016, when, you know, gay marriage was legalized, and how in 2016, things really started taking a change there, because that's when they started kind of infiltrating schools a little bit more with the LGBTQ agenda. I know you said that usually when it starts here, you guys get it a year later, but is that how it started with for you guys as well? Oh yeah, absolutely. But you guys, I mean, you did have a good thing in Donald Trump in that that piece of legislation that he put together. I forgot the name of it. The anti-stereotyping legislation was mm. some of the best legislation I've ever seen. It was fantastic. It said, look, you can't stereotype people based on their gender, 
their ethnicity, their sexuality, or any of these things. And, and what that did was put an end to critical race theory, put an end to critical theories, gender theory, and said, you can't, you, you can't teach these things because they are divisive and they're stereotyping. And at the same time, he said, look, for you universities that come out and say stupid things like we are a racist institution, well, we're not going to give you government money because we're not going to fund racist institutions. So then they all backtracked and said, well, okay, maybe we're not. And I think he was doing some good stuff but the moment Joe Biden got into office, he ripped all that legislation up. You know, the, the Democrats are supposed to be in favor of diversity, equality and inclusion. So for them to come into office and one of the first things they do is to remove an anti-stereotyping bill tells me that actually the actions don't match up with their words. Correct. And that's something we've seen a lot these days with, you know, politics is a lot of people say that they do one thing, but then once they're in office, they do another and it's just crazy to see what is the is that is the political side of things in England about the same or how do they get these laws passed? Oh, it's even worse over here. So at least you guys have some Republicans that are actually conservatives like DeSantis. When I see him speaking, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, we don't have anyone like that over here right now. All of our conservatives are conservative in name only. I say all, not all of them. There's less than a handful that are actually conservative. But our Conservative Party are the party of government right now, so you would expect them to be defending against this stuff, but they're ones bringing it in, unfortunately. Uh, we don't, I mean, all of our politicians are left-leaning. They're all liberals from the Labour Party and the Conservative Party, so we're stuck in a rut. I don't know how it's going to fix itself other than at the next general election. I assume the Conservatives are going to lose, probably by a landslide, which means we'll have a, an even worse government in the Labour Party who, you know, their politicians can't even define what a woman is at this point. That's how bonkers they are. So they'll be in office for five years, probably mess up the country even worse. But at the same time, while they're doing that, hopefully our Conservatives will refine their ideology and regather their ideas and have some values to stand up for because if they don't then we're all done really absolutely and i know you kind of mentioned a little bit about what the church the church of england correct is doing mm. kind of are they involved at all or are they kind of making things worse or are they making things better like what's their what's their oh. involvement in all of this amber it is atrocious so the church of england is meeting right now as we record this at their general synod to pass prayers for the blessing of same-sex relationships oh so yeah so they've been debating for the last six years or so how uh, whether they could bring in homosexual marriage which of course you can't do because it's just it's just not a thing in the christian faith and, and they haven't gone that far as to demand that doctrine is changed directly but what they're doing is there is the thin end of the wedge or the, the beginning of the slippery slope and they're saying okay so what well what they started by doing last week is say, okay, well, uh, we'll bless the the individuals in a same-sex relationship. And then it, by the end of the week, it already became, well, we'll bless same-sex relationships. And then there's a bishop on record saying, we will allow the blessing of same-sex relationships, some of which might be sexual in nature. It's like, you are literally blessing sin. This yeah. is, you know, you are anathema. This is not okay. It's not acceptable and it all comes from i mean it, most of it comes from a well-meaning place that they want to be accepting of everyone but they forget that we should be accepting of everyone but expect people to change and to, to go move away from sin and move towards christ and they're afraid of saying they're afraid of talking about sin uh they're afraid of all of it i think that a lot of them have lost direction and lost the faith which is very sad to see because I mean, even in the Catholic Church, obviously, we have a lot of um, wolves in sheep's clothing, you know, we have certain Jones. people that like to put people on the edge, you know, like James Martin and a couple other people. Um, and 
it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way when people don't stand for Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be more, especially people in the church, right? Where they'd be more happy to conform the words that they use and the ideas that they use to go into the world. And I guess in some ways they think that they're going to bring people in by doing that, but people don't want to hear the message of the world. They want to hear the message of Christ. And if you're preaching to them, the message of the world without any kind of conviction or anything, that's not going to draw them into the church. That's going to draw them closer to the world thinking what they're doing is okay. Yeah. As As of this year, the church of England, well, Christianity in this country is in a minority for the first time ever. And I think this is because we are chasing the world, as you say, and the bishops still don't get it. They're like, well, you know, we need to be more welcoming to the LGBT community and then we'll get more people in. And the LGBT community will be like, yeah, yeah, we want that. But these are the people that don't turn up to church. You know, there are many, we have to separate the sinner from the sin. This is the problem. There are many people who find themselves same-sex attracted who manage to live lives in Christ they manage to be chaste and live a Christian life and feel fulfilled and content and expect heaven reward and that is a good thing and we should of course be welcoming to everyone but we need to get the message out there that Christ spent time with sinners but it is they who went away changed and not him and we we forget all of these basic tenets of the faith I'm baffled by yeah, you're right it is wolves in sheep's clothing and baffled by the amount of bishops that have stood up and said actually we need to go further than what we're doing we need to embrace um same-sex marriage it needs to be you know equality and it's like well it's not about equality it's about the, the meaning of the sacrament of holy matrimony it is monogamous and it is heterosexual it's one man and one woman combined in into one flesh for the purposes of procreation and the community and for the greater worship of god it's very very simple the catechism of the catholic church outlines it very simply but so does the anglican uh, book of common prayer it all comes from aquinas like return to the church fathers or if you can't understand the church fathers return to the bible it's all in there too but all of this is so straightforward i don't understand how they can't stick to it i completely agree i um even colleges these days you know they're teaching this uh, my boyfriend's currently in a course where they are teaching them about trans reproduction rights and it basically they go over how you how trans people can reproduce and like what their rights are so you guys can probably expect getting that in english what is a trans right why do people keep going about trans rights what rights do trans people not currently have exactly well it's the same thing as people saying oh black people are oppressed what right. can a black people what can black people not get that white people do like we're all it's all about us as a person how driven you are it's all about how much you're willing to work for your dreams and like what you're willing to do and what your faith is and so it's interesting to me that people are viewing having children and and having sex as a right you know it's yeah. like their right it's something that they're they can have um but in reality children are a gift yeah. having sex is a gift from god and when it's disordered like that people become very selfish and domineering and and it turns into what it is today which is trans reproductive rights which is ethics apparently i don't know what's ethical about that but have you guys had anything like that in the uk yet or not yet there have been a few instances of um so-called trans where i forget which way around it is uh trans women so the pretend women no trans men the pretend men who are actually women who've had you know become pregnant 
either before or during their surgery and they look like men but with a, obviously with a pregnant belly and they give birth and it's like oh it's the first man to give birth. it's like no it's not the oh. first man to give birth it's clearly a woman if they're giving birth but even the you know the mainstream newspapers are, and mainstream media are going along with it and painting this narrative so of course most of gen z in the uk think this is normal they think yeah of course why couldn't a man become a woman and why couldn't that person have a baby or the other way around it's like well because the laws of nature suggest that it's the females that carry the baby and it's, it's the males that contribute in, in another way and this we, we knew all of this this is knowledge that we've had for thousands of years why are we pretending not to understand science exactly well what they're doing is they're trading science for um they're trying to make science, I don't know what the correct term is, but they're feeding into a mental disorder. Yeah. You know, to make people feel like, oh, it's not you. Like, science is wrong. Like, you're perfectly fine the way you are. Instead of treating it like it is, body dysphoria, mm. and I think it's uh, mind dysphoria or something. I don't know, whatever. It's like, that is a mental illness. Well, I think it started out that way, yeah. I think it yeah. did start out a lot of, you know, there are very few trans people. It's still a very minor, a small minority of the population. But I think they did start out, most of them with some kind of dysphoria or dysmorphia in that they don't recognise their bodies. And it's this weird idea that I am in the wrong body. And that doesn't, make, again, it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's not very logical because you are your body. And that's what we should be teaching them to love themselves as they are because that's the way that they were designed by God. However... I don't think everyone who is trans now is trans because of a mental disorder. I think it's become cultural. It's become, you know, if you want to be part of the in-group, you've got to kind of find a, a victimhood complex or a minority complex, or you've got to join somehow. And if you're not an ethnic minority and you're not gay or lesbian, an easy way to become fashionable is to say, well, I'm non-binary or I'm trans or, you know, it's to disregard your gender. Right. And we see that so much, especially last year, there was this study done where college girls, um, it's kind of like group thinking almost, mm. college girls as freshmen, they went into college, they were completely fine, they look like normal, cute girls. And then at the end of the year, both of them have shaved heads, they have body piercings and tattoos and, yeah. you know, rings in their nose, and they consider themselves to be bi and trans. And it's almost like this peer pressure thing where if somebody in a group is, you know, identifies whatever as gay or lesbian or something, it almost acts as like, I don't want to say like a plague, but people start being like, I want to be like that. I want that kind of attention. I want to do those things. And of course, like you said, like a lot of people these days, or it started out as, you know, people struggling with body dysphoria or dysmorphia. And now it's kind of turned into this fad almost. It's like a, it's like a fashion trend almost. Um, and it's very disheartening to see a lot of young people fall into these ideals and, and these propagandas. Mm. So why is it so dangerous for these ideas to be affirmed in the youth? Well, because it's satanic. It's, it's an affront to God to disfigure your body in that way. And that's what they're doing. You know, you pointed out some great examples of potentially beautiful young women who are um, slicing off uh, you know, having mastectomies and having great scars across themselves, shaving off their hair, piercing their bodies and just mutilating their bodies in order to join this in crowd. And I think that's satanic. I think there's only one person in in um, the Christian tradition who is considered bisexual or non-binary, and that's Satan himself. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting to me because people these days, especially are so sensitive. 
you know, you can't say anything without offending somebody. And if you try to tell them like, hey, this is satanic, they take it as a personal insult. And we're like, no, you know, separate the sinner from the sin. Yeah. But because of the fact that today relativism is running rampant, you know, it's do what makes you happy. You become gay or lesbian. That becomes your identity. So when somebody says, hey, this is satanic or this is so-and-so, you know, it's not right. They take it personally because mm -hmm. they view themselves and their worth as whatever they identify as. Yeah, and Amber, I think a lot of that comes from the American dream, actually. Oh. It comes from this pursuit of happiness because it's quite a selfish goal, actually. It sounds great. Like, who doesn't want to be happy? But the pursuit of happiness is idolatry, uh, not just of happiness, but of yourself, because you're putting yourself, at, you're creating a god out of yourself, essentially. That's what you're doing when you're doing anything you can to make yourself happy rather than living a good life, living an ordered life for the great worship of God. Uh, you you are your own God. And that's where this movement, I think, came from. Right. I, that reminds me of this quote that I saw on Facebook the other day that I saved. And it says, the do what makes you happy culture is so toxic for Christians. We are not called to do what makes us happy. We're called to do what glorifies God. Yes. Christianity isn't always sunshine and happiness. It's hard work and dedication to him, not us. Do what glorifies God. So that totally just reminded me of that. But yeah, it's like people don't really think of that. And I think in a way, um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And I think Trump was a great president and everything. But when he came in, people viewed him as Christ almost. You know, they viewed him as the savior. And it's still going on today where people think he's going to come in and save us. And there's all this stuff and everything. And I thought he was a great president, especially one of the best presidents in my time. Um, and I'm young, so I don't have that much to base off of. But <laughs> it's just something that I've noticed where instead of clinging to God, you know, and being like, God is going to get us through these hard times and stuff. They're clinging to Trump and yeah. they're trying to get him to come back in and save them. Absolutely. We have to have more faith. That's, that's it right there. Pray um, for Christ or to Christ and stop looking at people as idols that will come in and be our saviors because they won't. And the moment you put someone on a pedestal, you're waiting for them to fall, you're setting them up to fall. And that's the same with Trump as it is with anyone. And you know, I mentioned both Trump and DeSantis earlier. I think they are fantastic politicians as far as American politicians go. However, I don't think they're gonna save America. If America can be saved, it's, it's through Christians coming together in prayer. And yeah, I think that's a good reminder for you. But I think wh where we were going with that previously is that, we mentioned the pursuit of happiness and all of the misdirection, but I think the true direction is telling people more about sacrifice, mm -hmm. as in love is sacrificial and, you know, agape, and this is the biblical term of love, and people focus today too much on, well, I think it's more lust than love when they talk about it, but quite often people focus on this romanticised Hollywood version of love that they want to pursue and that is, is partly what's led us in this direction too, because the penultimate or the ultimate um, goal of love is sex. And that's, you know, that's how you know you love someone. And all of this is, is actually wrong. And we are, well, we're making an idol of sex too and an idol of, of false love. And we need to tell people that actually sacrifice comes with love, but also not just sacrifice, suffering. Suffering is part of the human story. It's impossible to live a life without suffering, but that's okay because. Christ is with us in our suffering and again having that faith is helpful to people but we we kind of want everyone to avoid suffering and we want everyone to to live this happy blissful life wrapped up in cotton wool with you know never being offended and never seeing anything that might trigger them 
right? And I think that's difficult, especially in this, again, relativistic world we live in where people don't know how to suffer well anymore. Mm. You know, people suffer a lot probably today. You know, we just had that whole inflation crisis. People lost their jobs. People are homeless. People are suffering, but they don't know how to suffer well. Mm. And part of that because of our fast-paced culture. You know, we have Amazon Prime where you could get something next day shipping. You know, we have, which is Amazon's not my favorite, but sometimes it comes in handy in a pinch. But I hate using it because I feel like I'm feeding into this idealistic world where it's hard to suffer well. Because, you know, back in during World War One, World War II, despite the the fact that they were going through great depressions and they didn't have a lot of food, what they did have was community and they had God. You know, if somebody needed a dozen eggs, you traded them for milk. If somebody needed a loaf of bread or a cup of sugar, you gave them butter in return. It was all about being there for each other and learning to suffer with each other, but also finding joy in that suffering because you know that you're just grateful to be alive and, and, and things. That, that doesn't mean that suffering is going to be awesome, like no, but it does mean that it has a purpose. Like your suffering does have purpose and it can help, you know, a, a ton, you know, in the, in the future. And I've seen so, so many people. And I, I mean, I see it every single day. I go to a grocery store and there's somebody yelling at a clerk because she's taking too long to check them out. Um, there's a lady honking at a guy in front of her because he stopped too long at the green light. It's just impatience is rampant in the US today. I don't know if it's the same in England, but it's crazy. Yeah, it's a sense of entitlement, isn't it? Everyone wants yeah. everything right now. Uh, I think you're spot on. It's just insane to see how it's picked up so much. It's, a lot of it, I think, is because we've lost community. And you mentioned community there. We all used to belong to a community. I think especially in our cities at the moment, there isn't a, a feeling of community. We don't often know our next door neighbours anymore. So never mind thinking about borrowing a bag of sugar. It just wouldn't be possible. We wouldn't even think about it. Where I grew up in the um, north of England, I grew up in a town and everyone kind of knew everyone. And, you know, I knew the name of the local police officer, you know, Bobby on the beat. And we all kind of looked out for each other. But I think even that's changed in the towns now. And it, it is leaking from the cities that we are, we live a life, a transitory life where place doesn't matter because we just mm. uproot and live anywhere. And, you know, we could move house tomorrow to an entirely different town and city. And all that's relatively new. You know, 100 years ago, that wouldn't be the case. Everyone would kind of grow and die in the place that they were born. And part of our new modern university culture is we move away to get educated and quite often never move back and just travel the world. And it, it sounds great, but really and truly, we're breaking down our way of life. Right. And also, you're kind of uprooting yourself from that community that can be so important when you start having kids and things. I know people who move so far away you know, when they start having kids and I have like three friends that have had kids and they ended up moving back because they needed their, the, the family support and help with the kids. It's just insane. And I think a lot of the times too, like we've created artificial community on social media, you know, where we feel like, oh yeah, we're connected with people. We don't actually need to go out and say hi or anything, but it's all digital and it's artificial. Absolutely. Nail on the head again, Amber. This is it because we've created our own tribes. So we we don't live in a diverse community anymore. So, you know, our local parish church used to be the most diverse part of our lives because we'd be mixing with people who lived just down the road 
but might be a different race to us, different gender, different age, whatever. We'd be around normal people. But now we don't have that. And we go to our own little online enclave of people who think like us, same politics as us, same faith as us, whatever. And we just live in our echo chambers. And then when we see something that is outside of our groupthink mentality, we get upset by it and we can't handle it. So we feel like we're more connected than ever, but actually we're more divided than we've ever been as a people. So true. I mean... And it's that whole, it's such a, it's just a sneaky way of causing division and, and causing, you know, a, basically a mental health epidemic yeah. in, in a certain sense. Because when was the last time you've seen three neighbors in houses, you know, outside in their lawn chairs, drinking a beer, having a barbecue, just talking without cell phones, without computers, no distractions, just neighbors getting together, having a block party. Yeah. I can't remember the last time that happened. And yep. it's sad. It's really sad. And on social media, you know, kids are exposed to so much that their parents don't know about because of, you know, I mean, parents try, they can put restrictions on, but kids are smart. Kids who are raised in the digital era, they know how to get around things and kids are curious. And so if their parents aren't teaching them and bringing them up in the faith, they're naturally going to go and try to discover stuff or the things will be exposed to them such as pornography I think the earliest age for boys is like eight or something to be exposed and for girls it's like 11 it's just heartbreaking and the social media apps they feed into it there was this news article not too long ago about YouTube kids and how there were drag queens on YouTube kids you know reading them stories and doing stuff like this and, and indoctrinating them yes and when you think of YouTube kids or PBS kids or something like that. I, I think of Dragon Tales and like all these old TV shows I grew up with that were, they didn't have an agenda. They weren't trying to push anything. They were just for learning purposes. And now everything's an agenda. Mm, yeah, these things are the devil's work, honestly. I'm as addicted to my phone as most people are, but I can't stand it. We walk around, we're, we're constantly looking down at these things. We don't even see other human beings anymore. It's ridiculous. And you're right in that they are the most dangerous thing for young people. The biggest piece of advice or the best piece of advice that I ever give parents is just do not let your children have a smartphone. Don't give them a smart device. They don't need one whether it's a phone or a tablet, whatever, laptop, they don't need unsupervised access to the internet. It's the biggest danger. It's like literally when these, ki these kids have their own phones in their bedroom at night, it's literally giving a stranger access to your child's bedroom overnight without you having any idea of what's going on. And as a teacher and a, a safeguarding officer, the amount of nastiness that I've been made aware of, it's like the grooming the abuse, the bullying, it all happens on these devices that they don't need. Exactly. I know um, some girls I babysit, you know, one of the younger ones was just like, mom's not going to let me have a phone until I'm in middle school. And I'm like, well, she probably shouldn't let you have one until you're in high school. And yeah. I had to explain it to her because I don't think maybe her mom did explain it to her, but you know how kids don't like listening to their parents. They prefer yeah. to hear it from somebody like they, they look up to. And, and not that they don't look up to their parents, but, you know, parents say stuff and kids are like, eh, no. And so I told her, I was like, I told her my own experience because she's old enough, you know, she's almost, you know, nine or 10. And I told her, I'm like, look, my experience with this is I got bullied. I saw things I shouldn't have. And, you know, you don't have to go into detail. You just warn them about it. You tell them, yes, it's a great way to communicate with friends in a pinch if you're in emergency. Sorry. Um, 
like if you're in an emergency or something of that nature, it, it's great for emergencies, but in reality, it's not great for communicating. You know, it, it's good if you need it in a pinch, but in reality, if you're with friends or something, you shouldn't be on your phone. You, you know, it just creates a stress dynamic that kids don't need. Yes, absolutely. It stops their brains from functioning properly. But, you know, if it's for an emergency, you can always get a dumb phone, get an old Nokia or something that's a brick phone that can send text messages and make phone calls, but doesn't have internet access. That's the best thing you can do if your child needs, you know, if they go, if they walk to school on their own or something like that, and you want them to be able to call you or the police, then there are options available that don't involve giving them unfettered access to the internet. Right. And I think even then it's like, they tried getting rid of flip phones for quite a while, at least in the United States, where they discontinued flip phones completely. And I'm just like, no, <laughs> kids need flip phones. If I had to have a flip phone when I was a teenager, they have to have a flip phone too. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. But I guess our final question is, how do we keep, like, how do we help the young people who are struggling with this without affirming the sin? How do we help them? I think... Well, first and foremost, telling them about sin, um, teaching them what not to do, but then also what to do. And I think channels like yours are fantastic at this, just having uh, good, positive role models, you know, teaching young people how to pray the rosary or you know, talking about the consecration of St. Joseph. All of this stuff is so, so positive and so important and they don't get any of that. You know, they go on TikTok and they find out how to dye their hair blue or how to pierce, pierce their, their navel, like going on your instagram you've got a completely different stories you know say re reading prayers together uh, teaching kids about the daily officers um divine liturgy taking them to mass like all this is what we need to be doing it's just introducing them to the faith that is it which is really interesting because i taught um catholic education for a little while uh, just like cc program you know catechism and i was prepping them for confirmation and I would ask them questions in the beginning just to get a gauge of like where they were at in their faith life. And there were some kids who were super on top of it. You could tell that their parents teach them the faith, they're interested in the faith, they take them to church events and they just love it. And then there's the quieter kids where you can tell their parents don't talk about the faith at home. Maybe they take them to church once in a while, but they want their kids to get confirmed because in the United States, at least people have their kids baptized Holy Communion and confirmed so that they could get married in the Catholic Church when they're older, not necessarily practice the faith, but it's this whole like persona, basically. They're like, oh, you have to do it though, because it's pretty and it's like a aesthetic. And it's like, no, and if you see most Catholic churches today, they're not that aesthetically pleasing well, either. True, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting because, you know, I see these kids who really want to attend Mac, who really have that drive to. But it's the parents who are like, well, I don't want to push it on my kids because it was pushed on me as a kid and like it was traumatizing. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be traumatizing. Why do you think that Christianity, you know, traumatizing? If it was traumatizing for you, you need to figure out, OK, what was traumatizing about it and how can I change it for my own kids so that they have a better experience? Absolutely. Not to just disregard it entirely, but look at how to do it better. Uh, I think it's laziness quite often. I think it's the liberalism of, well, they'll, they'll decide when they're old enough. It's like, if you think something is important, you need to pass it on to your kids. And it's that, it's the old cliche, isn't it? If, if your kids see, if the kids see that their father takes God seriously, they will take God seriously too. And it's, you know, all of it's very simple. We know the truth. It's about passing the truth on to the next generation. 
exactly. And I think it was 70% of kids who, um, 70% of kids will fall away from the Catholic church if their fathers are not a part of it. So it's like, if fathers are in the faith and a part of it and teaching it to their kids, there's 70% of them that will stick with the church. And it's, or yeah. So it's just heartbreaking to see how many kids will fall away from the faith because the fathers don't want to step up and take that role as, you know, a teacher in a way, you know. So many kids don't have father figures at all anymore. This is why we've seen the breakdown of the family. This is why the neo-Marxists, which is essentially a Satanist movement, has destroyed the nuclear family and promoted the idea of single parents, mothers, and and that do it on your own. And actually the, the whole degeneracy around sex being a commodity is because without the father there you have no positive male role model to teach young boys how to be strong but gentle or to teach young girls what to look for in a potential future husband like without that important male role model who is the leader of the faith in the household and bringing everyone else to faith then it all falls apart exactly we actually have a father crisis right now in chicago because of the amount of gangs we have running around so we actually have like signs and petitions and groups and everything up all around chicago saying chicago needs dads and it's been this huge movement which i'm really proud of actually for you know illinois because you know illinois kind of sucks but (laughs) but um And it's, we're very liberal and everything, but I was like, this is one thing I can back, you know, I can get behind this is like the fact that Chicago needs dads because the gangs are just rampant and it's because they don't have father figures. And also it's heartbreaking because the school system, a lot of these kids in the States, they're selling drugs by the time they're 11, you know, because it's the only way that they can survive and make money to provide for their family. You know, they go home and it's one mom and like five siblings. And they view it as their responsibility to provide, especially if they're a male in the house. And they're not having these teachers that are willing to, you know, really work with them at all. They're not willing to have teachers come in and and work with them. And so they feel like they have to provide for their families, you know, because of the fact that there's not a father figure to do that for them. So they grow up quite quickly and they end up joining gangs and selling drugs and doing all of this just to provide for their siblings and their mom. Yeah, it's incredibly sad. We're, we're seeing similar stuff over here. Um, and we've got statistics that show that if a family breaks down while the children are under 18, that they're twice as likely to end up on drugs, twice as likely to end up failing at school, and twice as likely to end up homeless. We, we know all of this, and, and more than twice as likely to end up in prison. We know all of this, but we're afraid to talk about it. And again, our conservative government aren't very conservative. They're not strong enough to say, look, families need a mother and a father. Children need a mother and a father. This is the ideal. It's not the only family set up in in a modern world, but it is the ideal family set up. And we should do everything we can to support that and encourage that and promote that. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, people don't realize like kids are smart and they're also the future. You know, if you're not willing to heal yourself and put in the time yourself now, you know, while you're a single parent, or even if you are a single parent, while you don't have kids, or even if you do have kids, if you're not willing to work on yourself to help your children, you're setting them up for failure. You know, you really need most of the things that kids learn are through the actions of their parents. Mm -hmm. And so even if you're not telling them about certain things, the way that you react to situations, the way that you talk about God, the way that you handle suffering is going to impact them greatly. 100%, which is why we have to be very explicit in everything that we want to teach and teach it well. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Father Calvin, for coming on here and discussing this. I think it was a great topic and I'm sure many people will enjoy it.
Um, but it was my absolute pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing and God bless you. Thank you so much. Also, where can my listeners find you? Uh, all the usual social medias at Calvin Robinson. Uh, my website is calvinrobinson.com where I've got a link to my Substack, and I'm on GB News currently at 3 p.m. on Sundays. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again. I really appreciate it. And with all of that being said, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you learned something from it and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with me, The Religious Hippie. Make sure to visit my official website at thereligioushippie.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter to keep up to date with my latest news and offerings. You can also find me on virtually any social media site as The Religious Hippie. Thanks for listening. A quest is a search for something. And every week, the Quest podcast will show you how we know what we know through interviews with people that have incredible stories of dedication and perseverance. I'm your host, Todd Fisher. Join me in this thought-provoking and inspiring podcast of discovery. Find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please be sure to rate and review this episode. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and Anthony Smith and is distributed by Metacortex Publishing. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Information and opinions stated in this podcast should not be construed as medical advice. Please be sure and visit the official website for Metacortex Publishing at metacortexpublishing.com or find us on social media for other unique content.